0: The exodus is ongoing at the University of Michigan. Corey Dennis has a new job. Bill O'Brien may or may not become the next head coach at Boston College. And Jed Fish has hired a man to coach his defense with three Super Bowl rings. Let's go. It's the number one college football show. What's up, Ken folks? Welcome to the number one college football show. I am your host, R.J. Young. Thank you for watching on the Fox Sports app, YouTube, or listening wherever you get your podcast. Today on the show, we got to talk about Michigan and what Sharon Moore is deciding to do about the defense now that he has seen a number of more, well, I should say a number of his staffers, uh, former, shall we say, colleagues depart for the NFL, and then kind of want to get into bill o'brien ohio state and what that is doing i also want to get into ncaa and tennessee which is just a quagmire but a funny quagmire that we are going to unpack here i'm going to try to get you on the good foot have you going into tuesday knowing what you can expect on february 13th when there's supposed to be some sort of a hearing that's going to be held about whether or not the ncaa is doing something that is unlawful according to the states of tennessee and or virginia but let's start what we know which is football right ohio state's Bill O'Brien is the leading candidate to become Boston College's next head coach. Now, if you're paying attention to the news on Monday and we're doing this live on a Tuesday, you know that that nearly felt done until it wasn't. So now we have to take a look at Bill O'Brien and find out what his priorities are in as far as being a football coach. Now, you'll know that his last stop was at the New England Patriots, where he was the offensive coordinator. Prior to that, right, he was at Alabama helping groom Bryce Young into a Heisman Trophy winner. We thought that it was going to go well with him and Mac Jones. It did not, right? We'll see what happens with Mac Jones, with Gerard Mayo now running the New England Patriots, but suffice it to say that the hiring of Bill O'Brien by Ryan Day got us all up in arms going, okay, tell us what's going on here, because it feels like with a hire like Bill O'Brien, Ryan Day is going to hand off the play calling privileges and possibly the offense coordinator title to this man, Bill O'Brien. Now, does that mean that Ryan Day is 100% going to become a CEO head coach and less a play caller head coach. No, I think everything is open to possibility. But now with O'Brien having accepted this job as offensive coordinator at Ohio State just 19 days ago, and now perhaps looking to be head coach at Boston College, we have a number of other things that we need to entertain here. But first is I think that Boston College would love to have Bill O'Brien, not just because of his pedigree as an offensive play caller, but also – being a former head coach at Penn state and having coached with Nick Saban and Bill Belichick. And then obviously getting the kind of respect that comes from being on staff with Ryan day, even if it's only for three weeks. Now you should also know that he played high school ball, not far from there at Denver at St. John's prep. He also played his college football at Brown, which I think is like an hour from Boston and is an Ivy league, right? He also grew up in and around the area and probably understand what it would mean to be head coach for the B.C. Eagles. Now, that job is difficult, and I think that's the reason that it is open. All right, so the last coordinator that Ohio State had to leave to go to Boston College, wasn't that long ago, Jeff Hathley. Jeff Hathley, outstanding defensive coordinator. Actually, the last time that we saw Ohio State humming along in a way that they looked – Last year, frankly, with Jim Knowles was when Jeff Hathley was the defensive co- uh, coordinator and play caller. He also had dudes on his defense, including Chase Young, Nick Bosa, so forth, so on when he went to Boston College. OK, it got off to a rocky start and it never really picked up what we thought it was going to be. They had, I thought, the banner half of a second year, right, where they make a bowl game. But we're also looking around and asking questions about what's Boston College going to be in this new ACC. So was Jeff Hathley who is now going to be an assistant coach with the Green Bay Packers. I think it also kind of lends itself to this idea of, does anybody want to coach college football? Well, I think the obvious answer to that is yes. But while we are waiting on Bill O'Brien to make a decision about becoming head coach at Boston College or remain offensive coordinator at Ohio State, Corey Dennis also is out at Ohio State, former quarterback's coach, also renowned for bringing in guys like C.J. Stroud, among others, Kyle McCord, who ends up going to the transfer port of Sy- Syracuse, but you understand what I mean there. They were pretty good right up until they take that L to Michigan, and then I can still argue that they were still pretty good, even with that depleted roster. But it was very clear that Bill O'Brien wanted to have some say over the quarterbacks and how the quarterbacks are being, well, groomed and produced, and Corey Dennis had found himself without a seat. Ohio State decided not to renew his contract this past January. He has since decided to take an offensive analyst job at Utah, which is an inspired choice for a guy that I thought was on a trajectory to be an offensive coordinator sooner rather than later at a major power five. But if you are Kyle Whittingham, and for that matter, Morgan Scalley, who coached defense at Utah, you probably remember Jackson Smith and Jigba and C.J. Stroud absolutely going to work on your defense in the Rose Bowl. And you're going, huh, I would love to know how they were able to do that. And if Corey Dennis can give them any insight into being a much more dynamic and explosive offense, I say, take him, even if that, that's as an offensive analyst role, we'll see what happens with Corey Dennis down the line. But it does mean that you're going to have, if Bill O'Brien decides to take the job, BC two openings on your staff, your Ryan day, where you can have 10 on the field assistants. Now this gives him a lot of flexibility. And if the transfer portal is any indication, money is not the thing at Ohio state. Matter of fact, I don't think money has ever been the thing at Ohio State, right? It's can you get folks that you want to come down there and do the job? Now, candidates for the Ohio State coordinator job, if Bill O'Brien decides to be the head coach at BC, that I think is an interesting list. And while I'm usually low to talk about coaches that already got jobs, I'm not so inclined to be quiet about Chip Kelly and how I think he would fit. At Ohio State, not the least of which is because Chip Kelly was already up for the offensive coordinator job for the Vegas Raiders that Cliff Kingsbury was supposed to take until Cliff Kingsbury took the job at Washington. We'll still wait on what Chip Kelly decides to do, even if that's just remain at UCLA. But after losing Danton Lynn and a number of other assistants off of his staff, along with Dante Moore, former five-star quarterback, I'm looking around and I'm going, wow, the cupboard seems kind of bare at UCLA. And maybe Chip Kelly's just kind of over it because this is a man— that UCLA fans were loud about wanting to get up out the paint just last November until he beat USC in a row. Now, he ain't been great at UCLA. I think he's 500 in Pac-12 play. But I thought that he deserved the benefit of the doubt because I think Chip Kelly's a hell of a good football coach. But it's no secret that recruiting is not a thing that he wakes up wanting to do the way that, say, Nick Saban woke up wanting to recruit. He wants to be able to call his offense and run his football program. And I think that Chip Kelly really would like another shot at the NFL level, having not only learned what he didn't know the first time he went to the NFL, but also having this experience being at UCLA as UCLA is transitioning from the Pac-12 to the Big Ten, kind of like Jeff Hatley, is this what you want to be around for? Do you want to be around for this really rough transition from amateur athletics in college football to what is almost certainly going to be pay-for-play profitability in major college football? But if you just want to call plays for a team that operates like a pro program. I can't think of a better spot than working for Ryan Day at Ohio State. A, those guys go way back with Ryan Day having played for Chip Kelly at New Hampshire. They have a tremendous affinity for each other. And neither one of them was excited about the possibility of having to play against the other one because they know how good they are. If they could form up like Voltron. I think that could be fun, right? But one thing would have to lead to another, and that's even if Ryan Day was inclined to want to go get his mentor to try to run the offense, which you know I think would all make us feel good, but then it might get kind of rocky if it's not going the way that it needs to go on for Ohio State. That means beating Michigan. And this is a year in which Ryan Day's got to have it against Michigan. I find it asinine still, but I understand that's how Ohio State fans operate. Again, they do not count the days Since they last beat Michigan, they count the seconds. They count the minutes. They are looking forward to November 30th more than any other game on the schedule every single year. But this year, especially as Michigan is defending national champion, not just Big Ten champion, and having won the last three straight. Now, I kind of want to get back to this, does anybody want to coach college football discussion? Because I think we're getting in a space where people that don't work in college football— are looking at how college football coaches are talking about players making money off their name, image, and likeness, how the lawsuits are kind of flying around, how the finances are getting sort of out of whack in this multi-billion dollar age of college football. And they're going, why would anybody want to coach in college? Well, A, we have more opportunities to coach in college than the NFL. Hello, 133 FBS teams, just 32 NFL teams. Okay. Okay, that's one. Two, not everybody that wants to coach in the NFL, gets the opportunity to coach in the NFL. And if you get that opportunity, you're much more likely to take it because it's not going to come back around that often. And just because you go does not mean it's going to go well. Adding this, we're going to play college football at all levels. Whether or not we're going to play college football on television at all levels, that remains to be seen. But you can still do a hell of a lot of good for you and your family being a head coach and or coordinator and or assistant At the FBS level, we're talking about low end here, three hundred grand. I don't know about you, but three hundred grand goes a long way in my family. So yeah, I think people want to coach college football, and I think people want to help groom and grow young men. I really do think they believe in their ideals of yeah, I can help your man, your your young man transition from a teenager to the kind of man that you can be proud of, who is a credit to his society and his community. I also think they want to make a lot of money. I think neither is mutually exclusive. So I'm curious to find out whether Bill O'Brien wants to take over a program that isn't great and is going to have a hard time in the ACC in Boston College or whether he wants to continue to be among the winners, which Ohio State will most assuredly be, and coordinate an offense with really your pick at quarterback at this point. I mean, I know we got Will Howard penciled in as a starter here, but Devin Brown is still there. Julian saying is coming in. So is Aaron Nolan. You got options. At the quarterback position in a way that you didn't, let's say, at New England, where it's Mac Jones or Bailey Zappi or we got to go. All right, let's go from talking about that particular interesting job moment to another particularly interesting job moment. That is the job of the NCAA and the job of the University of Tennessee, notably Tennessee's attorney general and, frankly, Virginia's attorney general. So. You probably know that the NCAA launched an investigation into potential rules violations by the University of Tennessee along the lines of recruiting. At issue here is that a group that calls itself the Spire Group, Spire Sports Group, Tennessee wealthy donors, may have paid for a private flight for Niko I Iamaleva, Iamaleva, got it to fly from California to Tennessee on a recruiting trip, okay? In that way, they might have violated NCAA recruiting rules, okay? So investigating that. However, I found it kind of interesting that, not that Tennessee was fighting this, because I expect every university to fight the NCAA, even if they employ the NCAA, they feel like the rules are being unfairly uh, enforced upon them as opposed to their partners. What I did find farcical and funny about this is that this inquiry follows first Jeremy Pruitt and McDonald's bags full of cash. That wasn't that long ago. So y'all got a history, Tennessee. But also it's this thing about talking out of both sides of your mouth if you're Tennessee. Now, the attorney generals for Tennessee and Virginia filed a countersuit or an injunction of sorts that was dismissed uh, earlier this afternoon claiming that the NCAA was thumbing its nose at law by prohibiting players from discussing potential NIL opportunities before they actually enroll. And my favorite, that they were preventing players from obtaining full fair market value for their name, image, and likeness. All right, first, none of that is what the NCAA was accusing Tennessee of in the first place. Second in this is the Tennessee... Tennessee is also a defendant in a case that is actually arguing for what the NCAA is trying to enforce. I told you to keep your eye on House versus NCAA just last week about what the sport is going to do in as far as pay for play. And the reason that I'm pointing that again is Southeastern Conference is defending the case. Tennessee is a member of the Southeastern Conference. And that case is a federal uh, class action lawsuit in California where players argue that the NCAA's rules violate antitrust law by, quote, enforcing rules forbidding conferences from sharing broadcast revenue with players, denying revenue opportunities for college sports video games, barring NIL prior to uh, 2021. And the case, which could go to trial in 2025, could also result in nearly $4 billion in damages if it goes that far. What the NCAA is doing is A, enforcing rules that are already on its books, and B, Tennessee, how the hell are you going to tell us that we're wrong to enforce these rules when you are part of a lawsuit with us trying to defend these rules? It just feels like Tennessee is trying to CYA, uh, you know, cover yours. And I get that. I understand. But I also kind of want to throw in here that these attorneys generals at Tennessee, Virginia, and frankly, at Florida with Ashley Moody deciding to investigate antitrust uh, lawsuit allegations against this college football playoff committee because they left Florida state out of their final four. They feel like political moves feels like political posturing. And I can understand why we are powerful as a constituency group, us being college football fans there. You can do a lot of wrong, but if you choose the right program to get behind at the right time, we can forgive all that. And I understand like you understand Tennessee, that's the franchise in the state of Tennessee, okay? Even, even even, the attorney general for the Commonwealth of Virginia understands there's a franchise down there in Knoxville. And while I do not think that the NCAA picking this fight is making their job any easier, I do understand, hey, man, they got a job to do. This is the job they're being asked to do. This is a the job they're going to do. I think that the NCAA is also trying to make good on these threats to investigate like they said that they would years ago when name, image and likeness rules were first put into play, also tries to help them strengthen their arguments in court as they are getting slapped with lawsuit after lawsuit about amateurism and whether or not they are violating antitrust law. And most people believe that they are doing just that. Now, the they in here is Kind of ridiculous, because the day is us. The NCAA works on behalf of its member institutions, which is another way of saying, if you don't want to be a member of the NCAA, then don't be. But seeing as the NCAA governs the sport, it's real difficult to operate your own college athletics without the NCAA helping you referee. Now, this kind of gets into another discussion that we're going to continue to have about what the Big Ten and the SEC, particularly Tony Petiti, commissioner of the Big Ten, and the SEC commissioner, Greg Sankey, have to say about what the sport is going to be. And I think that is where I go with all of this, because regardless of what NCAA finds about Tennessee and regardless about what Tennessee thinks it did right, what we do know is players are making a lot of money on their name, image, and likeness. We know this because, well, Keyshawn Butte decided to put his business in the street by making 8,900 bets in basically a year. Okay, we got to see how much money that man had in a bank account, which is north of half a million dollars, and how much he was able to spend on betting, which is about 50 G's, right? In your wildest dreams, you never thought that a college football player would be able to make that sort of money above the table, but that's and some money, you know, that is the money that Shohei Ohtani is going to get for endorsing whatever, not the 700 million that the Dodgers are going to pay him to play baseball, and that's what's at issue here: is the universities and their programs having to pay these players a set amount. Charlie Baker, the head of the NCAA, tried to get ahead of this by saying, we should just do the D1 project. What is the D1 project? He is saying that universities should set aside $30,000 for every other athlete they have on campus, okay? So half of your athletes would make $30,000 or more, right? Just for playing their sport. You can understand why someone in the Big Ten or someone in the SEC would be like, hey, hey, not, no disrespect, but uh, the quarterback at Florida ain't worth as much in market value as, say, someone on the fencing team, okay? I understand that. I think most people understand that, especially in a capitalist society like the one we live in, capitalist economics and a free market. However, where's the money gonna come from? That's the question. The universities probably believe that they should not have to share their revenue that they are getting for television contracts with athletes because they've never had to. I would be the first person to tell you just because that's the way that things have always been doesn't mean it's the way that things should always be. All right. So while Tony Petiti and Greg Sankey oversee what is called a working committee and not an alliance, we're going to see what they can find out about how to thread a needle through what seems to just be a bigger and bigger ball of mess. So what we're gonna be left with is unintended consequences. That is bad for everybody because nobody wants to know that what's coming around the, uh, the corner isn't something they already predict and see, right? I build a business like the rest of you build a business, which is I can project into the future what's going to happen and I can make adjustments. But if you can't do that, you can get hit with something that you never saw coming and that could torpedo not just your program, but the sport entirely. And I think when I'm talking to people that are fearful about what pay-for-play could mean for the sport, this is the good faith argument that they would make. right? It is that, hey, if we get into a place where we owe more money than we can pay out, we're going to risk burying the sport. I don't think so, because I think college football is bigger than Wall Street, and we find a way to bail it out. What? I understand the need to be physically, fiscally responsible with all of this. I also understand not wanting to overpay for talent because somebody else is. And that is how we get these coaches' contracts that are way out of whack. Wasn't that long ago that a million dollars was unheard of for a college football coach to make. We're into a place now where we got more than a dozen that are making north of seven million annually. That's one employee in the football program not even the athletic department where else you going to get this money from because i understand that while some people think that college football is a license to print money i can assure you every dollar that is accounted for is hard won. okay i'm curious to see where we land in as far as what we're willing to tolerate and as far as 18 year old 19 year old kid making a million dollars to play college football and then what rules we're gonna put in place to try to curtail others from poaching because yeah, they're gonna pay taxes because I pay taxes, because you pay taxes. I've been paying taxes since I was 14 years old when I was pushing uh, grocery carts at Reasers, okay? Bagging groceries at Reasers. Stop acting like that's an impediment, okay? Don't also act like the kids can't spend their own money because you've done that and I do that. What's getting under people's skin is that an 18 year old is going to make 10, 12, 200 times more than they are. Go play football, I mean, my favorite. If you don't like it, beat them. Until then, this is what it is. Now, I know that's a a long way from Tennessee versus the NCAA, but I think that that context was important for you to understand why we're talking about this stuff and what it's going to mean going into the future. Again, we're gonna talk about this more on Thursday as we dig deeper into unionization and the future of college football in particular, name, image, and likeness. But this is a good place to leave this until we find out what's going to happen in court between the NCAA and Tennessee later this month. Okay, let's transition from that to some coaching news. Again, back to coaching. Michigan promoted Kurt Campbell to offensive coordinator who was quarterback's coach at Michigan last year. This with Sharon Moore becoming new head coach at Michigan. What he's opted to do was kind of elevate from within. And I kind of like this because it means that both the head coach and the OC at Michigan are 37 years old. So we're in the middle of a youth movement all of a sudden. And both were elevated from within, which is something that Clemson prided itself on doing during that run that meant two national championships. So this is not a bad philosophy to use. And you keep to keep as much of your continuity from a national championship caliber team as possible. It also makes it much easier because Jim Harbaugh has gone out of his way to not only just throw his weight behind Sharon Moore, and short of poaching the staff that he put together has put his full-throated support behind the program, meaning that you get to move as you need to, and elevating Kirk Campbell isn't actually sneered at. It's thought of, okay, this is good. Kirk Campbell helped groom J.J. McCarthy. He understands the offense. He knows what they're going to do. He was watching Sharon Moore call plays. That's probably going to stay intact. Along with that, Grant Newsom has taken the Sharon Moore path of going from tight ends coach, to be in the offensive line coach, right? So your continuity on offense is mostly going to be the same. And I think that's outstanding, right? That's what a good CEO coach would do is leave you in a great position to hire the next guy from within and try to keep winning as many games as possible. As for Campbell, he came up under Joe Moorhead, who at one point in time was really hot offensive coordinator and play caller, but also had called plays at Old Dominion. Now that was about four years ago, but I think he's, going to be able to pick up the rhythm just fine, especially with a guy like Sharon Moore helping him outline the game plan. Now, defensively, we're getting into a little bit of a new space for Sharon Moore as on Tuesday, that is today, Jesse Mentor and Mike Elston decided they were going to join Jim Harbaugh in Los Angeles as part of the Chargers staff. Mentor, you'll know, defensive coordinator, guy that was probably going to win the Broyles Award uh, if Phil Parker didn't win it if Sharon Moore didn't win it. You're also looking at Mike Elston, who was not only a great defensive line coach from Michigan, but an outstanding recruiter for them. And after letting go of Chris Partridge last year, linebackers coach, you're basically going to have to fill out the entire defensive staff, save DB's coach, Steve Clinkscale, who may be in line to be your defense coordinator, just so you keep some sort of continuity there. But Sharon's got some work cut out for him, right? He's going to have to go try to put together a staff on that side of the ball, That looks nothing like the staff that he just had along with Jay Harbaugh deciding that he's going to go coach in the NFL as well. You got to get a new special teams guy and a dude that had enough moxie and enough confidence from the staff to actually be an interim head coach while Jim Harbaugh was serving his self-imposed suspension by Michigan for recruiting violations earlier last year. I think this is going to be okay. I'm just curious about which direction Sharon's going to decide to go here because Usually you keep one or two of the coordinators from the guy, or excuse me, one of the coordinators from the previous regime to try to keep some continuity. Urban Meyer used to try to keep the defensive coordinator on staff, for instance, right? And that's not a bad way to go if you're an offensive coach. Now, is Sharon Moore going to try to continue to keep this all Michigan? Or is there somebody that has his eye on that also can help you build out an outstanding defense, the kind of which that can help you win a national championship? Okay, along with some more coaching news, in the Big Ten, as it were, which is wild to say, Washington has made waves here with Jed Fish being their head coach, but also with two coordinators that are the sons of NFL and one college football great. First one, Brendan Carroll, office coordinator, was at Arizona with Jed Fish. He's going up to Washington, right? That's Pete Carroll's kid. Now, earlier this week, Stephen Belichick is going to be the defense coordinator for Washington. This significant... Why is it significant? Because Stephen Belichick has three Super Bowl rings. I bet you didn't know that I was going to go that direction, did you? I I bet that's not what you thought. Because if I give you anything else to tell you about Stephen Belichick, you might thumb your nose, right? Let's start with this. Safeties. Really great safeties coach for the New England Patriots. Outside linebackers. Really great outside linebackers coach for the New England Patriots. Was offered a job. Working for Gerard Mayo with New England Patriots. So he wasn't been thrown out because he can't coach. He can't, right? However, he ain't worked anywhere else. And his college football experience is limited to long snapping at Rutgers for Greg Shiano, where he was also playing lacrosse. Okay. I understand if you're a Washington fan, you're going, okay, we've clearly hired this man for his pedigree and his ability to understand scheme and defense, but can he recruit? You don't know. You don't know. Matter of fact, the late Mike Leach told me this, and I'll never forget it, when I asked him about Alex Grinch and whether or not that guy was a good fit for Oklahoma's D.C. he's uh, One of my questions was, can he recruit? And he says, you know, I didn't know that either until he got there, and you just gotta watch a guy work. And some guys that you don't think are gonna be able to recruit worth a lick become some of your best recruiters. Other guys that talk a mile a minute, turns out they can't sell anybody on anything. And you got to make up the difference. We'll see what Stephen Belichick looks like and does. And I do say looks like knowing how that man has appeared on Cylons on television. But also, if that's the kind of guy that you want to play for or not. And only players are going to be able to tell us that. And they're going to have to build from scratch. He's going to have to build from scratch. And we're going to get to find out some things about Stephen Belichick. I'm also going to remind you. Over here, we're going to say Stephen Belichick. Because Steve is his granddaddy. And Steve has his own place of honor inside of college football wall. So I'm always going to try to lean towards Stephen Belichick being the defense coordinator at Washington and Steve being Bill Belichick's daddy and Stephen's grandfather. I am not interested at all in what Stephen Belichick has to say about name, image, and likeness. I'm not interested at all in what he has to say about the future college football. I am interested to see how his defenses act and play in a loaded Big Ten because I'm just going to go out here on a limb and say... They're going to judge him quick, fast and in a hurry because at 36 and having worked only for his daddy, you're going to have to do a lot of winning people over for them to believe that you're anything other than Bill Belichick's son. Now, Jed Fish worked with Stephen Belichick, and that should go a long way. But it's also Jed Fish that they're going to be looking at here going, is this the best you could do? I'm all trying to add in here on the way out, though, at 36 years old. He is the defense coordinator at Washington. Mike McDonald, he's 36 years old. He's the head coach in Seattle. There's a 37-year-old head coach at Michigan. There's a 37-year-old offensive coordinator at Michigan. Lincoln Riley was 34 when he became head coach at Oklahoma. This is becoming what it is. Like these jobs, even coordinator used to be a job that you need to be in your 50s for people to kind of be like, oh, yeah, that dude makes sense. He's been coaching forever. Now... Guys like Stephen Belichick have 12 years of NFL experience and three Super Bowl rings. That is what we are doing. We have created guys that show up not wanting to play anymore, but wanting to coach. That is remarkable in as far as how the game has progressed. And it also kind of underscores why the football has been so good, regardless of what others have said. Football, at the level that we play it in the Power Five, the level we play it in the NFL, has never been better. Never, ever, ever. We are freaking awesome at playing football. And one of the reasons is we have these coaches like Bill Belichick, Mike Shanahan for Kyle Shanahan, keep going down the line. They're raising guys that are outstanding coaches, already have a fundamental understanding of what it is that they want to see on defense, how they want to see it on defense, how they want to see it on offense, and then can get these big, fast, strong freaks of nature to go do what they ask them to do. Like a guy like Debo Samuel exists and he's an all pro that guy doesn't make an NFL roster when I'm a kid. That's how far we have progressed. I have faith that Stephen Belichick is going to be able to find those kinds of players on the defense because that's what he was raised to do. All right, we will be back Thursday. With another episode of the number one college football show, our number one college football show leads of screening are Jack Coakley and Torrin Westfall. They make us better in the film room. Production assistants Tiara Santana and Jim Cunningham make uh put the special in our special team. Social producer Javion Duncan makes sure the recruits and the rivals see the cape we bake Chaz Boulay is sending in the signal. Senior producer Catherine Cordoggi sees the entire field from the booth, elected, not appointed. Lead producer Tyler Wojak calls the plays from the sideline. The play snaps on my clap. We'll see y'all on Thursday. Until then, stay low. Keep those speed driving. Dosis.